Welcome to the Cocktail Hour with me, your host, Erin Polk. The Cocktail Hour is a place where we celebrate women in business who are shaking shit up. This week, we are talking to Karen Serkovich. Did I mess it up? No, you I got, got it right. right. Yes, thank God. Chief Handshaker at DMC Service. Welcome. Thank you, Erin. We've been friends for a long time, and apparently I've always said your last name wrong. That's all right. You are in the majority. <laughs> Well, you've got a silent in. I know. It's a sneaky silent in. That is tough. Let's tell people who you are, okay? Yes. Karen is a lifelong natural-born salesperson who has spent most of her entire life selling. She has diverse experience in both roles and industries, from administrative assistance to director of sales and marketing in the hospitality, web development, commercial printing, real estate, and HVAC plumbing fields. She has a track record of success in both long and short cycle situations. In short, Karen can sell anything to anyone. During her time in the hotel industry, she won numerous national awards, including Sales Executive of the Year, Director of Sales and Marketing of the Year, and twice as the Pitbull Salesperson of the Year. Her involvement with DMC service dates back to the early days. Karen went from being the ride-along flashlight holder to taking over all accounting, HR, and marketing functions in 2010. That same year, Karen started classes to learn the industry. In 2012, Karen officially bought into DMC as 51% owner. In 2014, DMC was certified by the state of Kansas as a DBE, WBE company that same year. Karen began overseeing all business operations of the company, including project management, dispatching, and scheduling technicians in the field. When, in 2015, the founder decided he had other dreams to pursue, he sold the remaining 49% shares to Karen. Since then, DMC service has doubled in revenues and is projecting to continue on growth trajectory. I can never say that word, trajectory. Sorry, this is kind of always a lesson in how Aaron reads, too. <laughs> if you don't put too many fancy words in, then we're fine. Karen is an active community volunteer, currently serving as the board of directors of the Junior League of Kansas City, Missouri, and as PTO president of her youngest daughter's school. She is a proud step-parent to three great kids and two four-and-a-half-pound fur babies. Welcome. Thank you. That was a lot, you fancy pants. Well, I could have pared it down. But I didn't, I suppose. <laughs> it never looks like a lot until you read it. Right. And then you put hard words in for me, and then it sounds like a lot. Next but time I'll I just know. learned a lot more about you that I didn't know, so we're going to get into this. Um, so we know each other through Junior League. We do. And we're going to be on the board together. We are. And you're going to be the president, not this year, but next year. Yes. So I'm minutes away from president-elect. Yeah, because it starts June 1st, right? So yeah. by the time this podcast goes live, you'll be the president-elect. Yeah. It's exciting. Are you scared? Um... I don't think I'm scared. I think it's more slightly nervous as to what's coming. Yeah. But I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what what is uh, the thunderclap of activity that is about ready to hit me. So, yeah. You've been in the junior league for a long time. I have. Like how long? Um, I believe this year is my 14th active oh, wow. year. Yeah. I, I'm like that member who just doesn't seem to want to go away. Have but, you been on the board before? Yeah. I've served on the board three times previous to this. Okay. So so you know a little bit of what's gone. Yeah, a little bit. But it's not quite, I think president's a whole nother level. It's like a full-time job. It is. And you own a company. And I own a company. But I um, I don't know. I'm really passionate about Junior League and the Mission. I love what we do. Um, and I'm really excited to serve and hopefully inspire and lead others to serve as well. Why did you join the Junior League? Honestly, the first, it was interesting. So back when I lived in Connecticut in the hotel business, I met a woman who, like the first 10 minutes we met each other, she was drinking the Junior League Kool-Aid and was like, oh my gosh, you must join the Junior League. And I thought, hey, what is this? And I looked into it and I was like, sure. But then the cycle was you couldn't really June or join until June 1st. Mm-hmm. And by then I was already leaving. So then I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and the same thing happened, only I knew I caught the cycle in the right timing. Uh-huh. So I got in and joined. Um, as oh, in Florida? In Florida, okay. Jacksonville, Florida. I was a provisional member, and then I finished my provisional year and transferred to Kansas City. And so oh. I joined really because I believed in the mission, but more than that, I had when, by the time I got to Florida, I was in my fifth, fourth state in eight years. Oh, wow. And every time, why? I, why were you moving around so much? Um, because when I was with Omni Hotels, it was moving up for opportunity. Like, okay. and it was a lot faster way to be able to lead a division. So I started out um, my career with Omni Hotels as the market research coordinator. It's a very fancy word for the person who does a lot of Excel spreadsheets and <laughs> is a glorified assistant. But I loved it because I found a. I really realized that.
like math in front of me, but crunching numbers is kind of like, I don't know, exciting being able to see trends and um, just being able to make sense of what's going on from an analytical standpoint. And then I moved up through the sales division, but really the only way to move up was to move around. And I was young and I was single and I was game. Was that your first job out of college? Uh, my technically my first job out of college that was paying me was the catering and um, the, what was his name the catering administrative assistant wait I was the administrative assistant to the catering and convention services director his okay. name was Roger Plume who's very very fancy um, very just knew his stuff and I learned so much from him in a very short amount of time and I had just come off of doing a free internship. Uh, my last semester of college at the Omni Royal Orleans. And when they had a position open up, they hired me back. So I was only at the Chateau Sinesta for like nine months. Okay. And then I went back to Omni. And I was with Omni for eight years. And I loved oh, that wow. company. I loved um, the Is opportunity. Is that why you ended up moving to Kansas City? Um, no. I moved to Kansas City um, because I was just really ready for a change of scenery and to kind of get back to the Midwest. Um, it also coincided with um, a gentleman that I had met, and we decided to maybe make it go. Okay. So I left Omni, and I came and I worked for the Fairmont, um, now the Intercontinental. But So you moved for a boy? I moved for a boy. Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up all over, which explains a lot about my personality. <laughs> I was born in Michigan. Okay. Uh, my parents are Michigan State alumni, and my dad was in sales. Okay. And he moved us around from Michigan to like the Ozarks. Um, kind of funny story that he back then, you know, you literally would get out like the American Atlas and say, mm-hmm. okay. And he loved water and sailing, and so he saw the Lake of the Ozarks unseen. Said that's where we're going to move because it's a large water mass didn't really realize that you couldn't sail sailboats on like the Ozarks till we got there. Um, That's funny. Legit. (laughs) Um, But we lived at like the Ozarks and then moved out to Colorado Springs. Um, Our house hadn't sold at like the Ozarks because it was like the 80s and nothing was selling. So we moved back and then ended up outside St. Louis in St. Charles. And that's where I started eighth grade, halfway through seventh grade, and then finished high school. My parents said we'd stop moving once we hit high school. So I was close enough. That's kind of funny that you went both into sales where your dad was and you were moving all around. Yeah. That was what was comfortable. It was, you know, it's one of those things that I think we always like curly hair girls want straight hair. Straight hair Mm -hmm. girls want curly hair. Right. And I don't have that experience where I know friends from kindergarten. Yeah. I just don't. But I do believe that it gave me an adaptability as a kid to be able to you know just move into a situation and make the best of it and make friends and force myself out of um my kind of naturally i'm not an introvert in the way that i will speak to anybody but i'm an introvert in the way that sometimes i have to force myself to get out of my comfort zone did your mom work she did. My mom was a graphic artist, and okay. so she could do a lot of stuff remotely. Yeah. Um, and then she stayed home a couple times and worked. I mean, she kind of had a variety of different jobs. Cool. But did you realize as your dad was in sales, did you remember looking at that and realize that's kind of what you wanted to go into? I had no idea. Okay. I had no idea. I had no idea. until I think sometimes when you reflect on your life, then that's where you realize, like, all of the little breadcrumbs that have been left for yeah. you. Um, I had no idea that I was a natural-born salesperson and that a big part um, of me is that until I was much older. But I was. I was always selling. In fact, Lake of the Ozarks, we lived on a Lake Road 5480, and there were, like, after you drove all the way down to the cove, there were basically, I think, five houses on our road. And um, in the summertime, it was always full, but there were maybe half of the houses had – People, it was their second vacation homes. And I remember one summer I wanted to sell friendship pins, you know, the little pins with the fancy little beads. Mm-hmm. And I made a huge investment in, you know, my nine-year-old mind uh, at Walmart of having beads and the pins. And I had all different sizes. And I literally set up a card table out on our dirt road. It had five people. You know, that was my first lesson in, you know, location is everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but bless my mom's heart because I sat out there for days 
<laughs> so trying to sell my friendship pins. And I sold not, I sold like a couple to like the gang of kids who lived on my street, which was a four, four kids, including myself. <laughs> um, I bought some myself. And then my mom came out and bought some. Oh. <laughs> and then she gently, you know, said, maybe this isn't the right business. <laughs> <laughs> for um, the street. <laughs> yeah, for the street. The street, you know, maybe you need lemonade or something. I'm sure I went out and sold something else. But you were essentially an entrepreneur then, right? I was. I was. But I didn't know it. When I was in high school, I still laugh at this. I went to I went to college to be a science teacher. And I still have that kind what? of teacher at heart. I know. It's so random, right? That is weird. But I love science. I love how things work. So it's that analytical piece of my mind. But really, and I can't believe I actually said these words, I would go back and smack my 18-year-old self if I could because I wanted to be a teacher because it was a great supplemental income to my husband. Uh, Gag. Yeah. Gag. Why would I say something so unempowering? But I did. And no dig to teachers. Like, I love teachers. But I just... Um, when I got it, I went to Mizzou, and when I was at Mizzou, I kind of realized that teaching is um, one of those selfless things where you don't ever move up. You constantly start over and over and over again, and I decided about three and a half years in that wasn't going to be my trajectory, and I just was like, okay, how can I graduate yeah. in a relatively reasonable time and go? I went on my kid's field trip last week, my sixth grader's field trip, and I'll tell you what, I could never be a teacher. Right. Because, um, yes, you, there's definitely no moving up. But I also don't think there's a lot of like you don't get enough respect for what you have to deal with either. I think that I think if you're a parent yeah. and you pay attention, you admire even more what um, what your kids teachers do. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, such a tough pers- in, yeah. profession and really su- such unsung heroes. I mean, up there with firemen and policemen, only they get a little bit more glory when they save lives. I um, had to take a nap after the field trip. Like, I don't know. I seriously <laughs> know. I have no idea how they do it. Yeah. Like, I was exhausted. Sixth graders are exhausting. Sixth graders are tough. They are. <laughs> I I could actually prefer, like, sixth and seventh graders, though, to, like, kindergartners. Because that's really? just, like, crazy just all the like time. Cats, they cats, are. Maybe. But God bless teachers. God bless them. So your first entrepreneurship... Uh, venture was in the pin world. Yeah. At nine. Friendship pins at nine. And then you go to college to be a, a teacher, but you end up in sales. What, what, how, how did what? that happen? Yeah. Um, when So three and a half years into my five years at Mizzou, I was planning only to go four, but at three and a half years, I realized I had to make a serious change. So I looked at all my credits. I talked to a couple advisors and I decided to major in parks, recreation, and tourism random but that's it, amazing at the time that's well, a zoo major if it, i've ever heard it of is, a zoo major. It is. but it i didn't it only allowed it made it where i'd only have to go one more year yeah. rather than i mean three and a half years was pretty uh crazy my what parent, do most people go for that degree for um oh gosh there's such a variety of things and what i went for was meeting and convention planning actually fell in that kind of in that. umbrella okay um and so that's how i got to the hotel business but it, it stuff like Park management, like golf course superintendents. Um, I planned a golf course. It was horrible. I mean, I think I got a good grade on my golf course because our teacher was really nice. But um, we planned parks, uh, lots of natural resource stuff because it was in the College of Natural Resources. What was the demographic like it was, in those classes? It, there weren't very many girls. Yeah. And it was, there were, um, a, I hate to say this without, it's going to sound wrong, but I'll say it anyway. There were a lot of athletes. We'll just leave it there. It was the easy class. They passed through. Yeah, pretty much. Um, That's funny that you were one of the few girls. Yeah. So that's another breadcrumb, huh? It was. It was. So yeah, my um, it I really want after Mizzou. I I had to do part of the program is you have to do a twelve hour internship. So it was basically your whole last semester was interning, and I. There was a woman in my program who I did not know, but she was from New Orleans, and she had done an internship at the Omni Royal Orleans. And you know, back then, you had to like type up, go to the computer lab, type up your resume, put all my various activities, because I was pretty involved at Mizzou um, on campus level and in my shorty, and then type up the cover letter and actually mail them out, like put them in the mail and then Mm -hmm. wait. And I mailed it. We had this connection of the director of human resources at the Omni Royal Orleans. And I mailed him out over the summer. And I hadn't heard yet. So I called him up. 
and his name is Henry Tubby. He's just still the dearest person ever. We're Facebook friends. And he was <laughs> like, Dwell in. I can't pay you a dime, but I'll give you free lunch. And that was Labor Day weekend my senior year, and I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I hit the jackpot. <laughs> I had the best internship ever. I was going to New Orleans. Um, and so I went, like, I finished that fall. I did, finished the rest of my classes, had my last hurrah at uh, Mizzou, and then packed everything up in my car. My mom drove down with me, and we found a um, furnished apartment because I had no, I had nothing. I think I, I didn't even drink coffee back then, so I think I had, like, a toaster or something. <laughs> and um, showed up to work in my Casper suit. So dotty. I mean, it was, like, mid-length, um, matchy, matchy, double-breasted. Like, I don't do any of those things yep. nowadays because it's not right for my stature. And I showed up the first day at 8 o'clock, and I walked into the sales office. And these people still to this day are just – I love them so much. But I showed up all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and was like, hi, I'm your intern. And no one in the sales office knew that I was even coming. Oh, like, God. Henry – like, New Orleans is so just laid back and chill and kind of like, yeah, whatever, party town. They, they didn't even know I was coming. So then I had this moment of like, oh, God, am I supposed to be here? And they're like, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. Come on in. And my maiden name is Courtright. And the Cartwrights were from Bonanza, which is a TV show from, like, the 60s and 70s. Okay. And all the people in the office were at least 10 or 15 years older than me, some more. And they're like, Karen, Courtright, Courtright, we're going to call you Little Joe. And from that moment forward, I was Little Joe. Like, no one in the hotel actually knew my real name <laughs> except Little Joe. They thought Karen Courtright and Little Joe were two different people. Like, it was kind of hilarious because I'd have friends that would show up to the t- hotel and be like, go to the front desk and say, hey, is Karen Courtright work here? And they'd be like, we have no idea who you're talking about because <laughs> they only knew me as Little Joe. So I was Little Joe. I'm still Little Joe, like, to, for was all those people. Was that before Katrina? It was, at, it was way before Katrina. Okay. Um, I actually lived in Kansas City when Katrina happened, and it was gut-wrenching just watching. And, I mean, some of my friends, one of her, um, her mother-in-law died during Katrina. Mm-hmm. It's just awful, awful time in that city. Beautiful, wonderful, magical city's history. Um, but- I was there two weeks before Katrina happened, and I re- but then I lived in Dallas. And I remember a lot of people fled to Dallas mm, yeah. from New Orleans. And I remember um, it was... Because, you know, Dallas is such a big city. You don't really realize when people come. But there were so many people that came in droves to Dallas that there were people lined up on the streets of, like, hotels. And, yeah, I Dallas, remember Houston, mm-hmm. every I mean, both directions. But, yeah, it was, um, you know, it's just such a time. But I was long gone after that. I spent two and a half years in okay. New Orleans. Um, so I went to the Omni. They gave me the job as market research coordinator. And then when a sales position opened up, I got it. They gave me the two two worst markets. So in the hotel world, they have everything kind of divided up. In New Orleans, it was geographic. So okay. we had national sales offices, um, Chicago, New York, uh, Atlanta, L.A., Dallas. I think that was it. And they gave me the two, like, dog markets, the Dallas and the Atlanta market. And I didn't care because I was super stoked to be a salesperson and have that yeah. on my business card felt so fancy and I was going to kill it I was crushing it those are probably really good markets now they were great I turned them well the thing is is when you have like Chicago and Atlanta yeah you're gonna focus on Chicago because that's where all the like heavy hitters are but I got Atlanta so I was gonna make the most of it and I did I did really I mean I did really well both Atlanta and Dallas have come a long way since then though right yeah well there's so much corporate and it was it was like the whole region so it was basically southwest southeast region and um there's so much there but you've got to look for it and when something I mean it was such the perfect opportunity because when nobody's really worked it you kind of just take what comes in in terms of inquiries then it's fine but when you really like focus your attention on something you can build anything I'm a firm believer in that so you're there for two and a half years and then you move for to Connecticut to Connecticut I moved because you get promoted I get well it was a quasi promotion um it was the opportunity to open a hotel, which back then not a lot of hotels were being opened. And this was the Omni New Haven um, that was being opened. It was a hotel that had been kind of the the hotel in New Haven for quite a while. Then it shut down um, and Omni Hotels came in and bought it probably 15 years later, renovated it. And so I was the 
first and only Omni employee to agree to go um, open it in the sales department. There were other Omni employees who wanted to go, but most of the people in the sales, like in in the hotel business, like it's a pretty tight knit group of people, and you know others from other hotels, and nobody was. They were like, eh, "New Haven, not so sure about that." And even I had that initial reaction, and then one of my HR guys in New Orleans was like, "Karen, little Joe, you've got to go to New Haven. Think about it. You'll be at Yale." <laughs> yeah, single girl at Yale. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, and and you know, he's like, plus, how many times do we open hotels? Now we open. It feels like hotels open every other yeah. day. But back then, it was kind of a deal. So, yeah, I packed everything up, moved to New Haven. But I wait, was, part of the sales process was you were going to be at, near Yale as a single woman. No, that was part oh, of that, the, was, that was the added bonus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the ad- that was the extra bonus. Okay. Um, no, I went up there and I was quote unquote senior sales manager. I don't know senior to what or to who because <laughs> I think at that point I was twenty four. Oh yeah. So That's or maybe twenty five, but I was pretty young. And um, yeah, so I went to New Haven. And it was funny. My uh, director of sales and marketing, Tia Zafarakis, she uh, told me I was going to handle the Yale market, and I was like. But, you know, it's my 25-year-old, I know everything self. I said, Yale's not a market. She's like, oh, yes, it is. And she took the Yale directory and plopped it on my desk and said, make it happen. And I kind of looked at her like she was crazy because I was used to having, like, actual accounts to call on. And so I did. I was like, okay, if this is what you want me to do, calling all the department heads. And lo and behold, there was business there. I was proven wrong. And um, yeah, so I kind of killed it um, up there. There was a lot of like medical meetings and different associations that we were able to bring in. And it was a lot of fun. And that was another time where, you know, it told me like, if you just focus and believe, especially in the sales process, and have a lot of patience and perseverance, you can be successful. Um, And so yeah, I built up the Yale market or started it. And then I was there 18 months. And I had an opportunity to go to one of my dream hotels, which was the Omni Parker House in Boston. It's the longest continuously operating hotel in America. It's it's quite the thing. And I went up there um, as the associate director of sales. And I was super, super happy to be there. Um, Yeah. And so I was in Boston for two and a half years. And uh, I was there during 9-11. Oh, wow. It was – we had um, the American and the United – uh, crews stayed with us in our hotel. So the crews that were on both the flights the night oh, before wow. had been with our hotel and the crews who had just come in and, you know, were waking up to learn like what happened. Um, I'll never forget it because back then our general manager, Dick Mason, who's just beloved in the Omni world. Um, I think there's actually an award named after him now. Um, he came in and he rolled one of those TV carts um, into the sales like where office. where the old TVs on the Where the old yeah. TV on the AV cart. Yeah. And he's like, you guys have to see what's going on. And not, you know, we were just working. It was just a normal day. And all of a sudden, like, the footage came through of the the towers going down. And it was just, like, everything stopped. And Boston, um, you know, they had, there were so many rumors then about Boston being hit next because of the World Trade Center there. And um, he sent everyone home. And at that point, I had, I'd sold my car and walked to work, and I was walking across Boston Common, and it was the first time ever that I had lived there where there was no one out, like wow. no one. It yeah. was kind of like creepy in like a movie because usually Boston Common, there's always people. Even in the wintertime, there's you know people doing all of the things. So, yeah, it was just a go- – it was like a ghost town, and it was so eerie and just a, um uncertain time. And then shortly after that, that was, you know, in September, I got my, like, really first big promotion to go to Jacksonville, Florida as the director of sales and marketing. And um, that was in December. Okay. So you end up moving. Listen, I remember 9-11. Like, it's, those are just, that's just one of those dates you remember, right? Katrina and Mm 9-11. I remember calling my, uh, I had a girlfriend who was a little bit older than me. So this is when I was still pretending I was in college. And I, uh, she was a news anchor, and I remember we'd always talk in the mornings, and I called her, and she's like, I can't talk. I'm like, why? She's like, go turn on your TV. She's like, I got called into work. Go turn on your TV. And I remember being like, wait, what? Yeah. And it, like, took a while to resonate, but I was in Kansas, so not as scary as Boston would have been. I lived in Boston for one month one time. 
What did you think about Boston? I actually grew to love Boston, but that was another time when I look back over my life that I really had to um, kind of learn resilience. So, like when I lived in New Orleans, you know, right out of college, like the sales team there um, just like took me under their wing and made me their like little sister. And you know, somebody was always inviting me out, and it was very social. And when I moved to New Haven, it was kind of the same situation because everybody there for the most part, was there to open the hotel. So I became from maybe not in the sales side, but like the HR and accounting. Um, I came great friends with all of these omni transplants who were also in the same situation. And those were kind of my immediate friends. And when I moved to Boston, the sales team there was really, um, and they're lovely people, like I adore them all, but they were kind of into their own life. Like most yeah. of them had boyfriends. A lot of them lived like outside of town or away from town or had husbands. It was just a job, not their social It was life. just their job. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, you know, expecting naively that people would want to go get a drink after work or hang out. And I mean, there were definitely people I hung out with. Like I found friends um, in the hotel, but it also really, really forced me um, to kind of get out of my comfort zone. And so I started just looking at, you know, okay, I have to make it here. Who are my friends besides, you know, these awesome bellmen who I play softball with? Yeah. And um, and so I started, like, taking – I took sailing lessons on the Charles oh, River. It was fun. Very, it was super fun. Um, I joined the Young Friends of Beacon Hill, and I met a friend who I'm still friends with today. Oh, wow. Um, she lives in California now with her husband. Um, I just forced myself to do things just to, like, get out and be around people. Yeah. And it took me a while to kind of understand Boston and its cold nature, not cold temperature, just, like, people are a little bit more – um, reserved yeah. and not Midwest like open. Yeah. Um, but be your friends right away. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like don't say hi to people when you're walking down the street randomly that you don't know. They will think you're crazy. Um, I did that a lot. It took me a few times to realize that that was not socially acceptable. But um, I love Boston. I'd go back in a heartbeat. Really? I really, really grew to like love and appreciate it. And I think once you kind of get in, then you have friends for life. I must have just never learned that lesson. Well, I was out in learn. a month. I didn't yeah. give it time. Yeah, you can't. I was get, like, you if can't, you guys don't want to be my friend, I'm not going to live here. <laughs> you can't live. You can't learn that in a month. It took me oh, like yeah. it took me like it's almost tough. a year to really like feel like Boston was home. Okay, so I want to skip to for the sake of time. I want to skip to you moved to Kansas City. Yeah, and is the boy that you moved to Kansas City the boy that you ended up marrying? He is. Okay. He is. Okay. So. Because sometimes people move here, then once you're in the same city as someone, like, it doesn't like, work out. No, it took a little bit longer for it to not work out. But we're friends now. And he's really, you know, even though our marriage didn't work, um, I'm grateful that he came into my life. How did you meet him? Because this was before social media. It was before social media. So how did you meet him? We met on a plane. Oh, you met on a plane while you yeah. were traveling. Let's not get, let's not, yes. I was traveling. You tra- met on a plane. We met on a plane. Okay. Yeah. And then, okay. Well, because nowadays it's always we met on Facebook. Or right. We met, right. So yeah. I'm always interested. He when was people- sitting next to me and I ignored him. Like I totally ignored him for a long time. And then I stopped ignoring him. And then. I the- never sit next to cute guys. Like, I, I never. That's never why did. I wasn't paying attention because yeah. I traveled all the time in the hotel business. And I'd always like when I was first traveling, I'd be like, oh, hopefully I'll sit next to a cute. And then, you know, after like the hundredth time of not sitting next to a cute guy, then you just kind of become like, what's the right word? Numb to it. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm not going to sit next to a cute I've guy. Met so a cu- I have looking. a couple friends who have met even their husbands on airplanes. Mm-hmm. And I'm always fascinated by it because I'm like, I must be doing the whole plane thing wrong. No. I mean, I'm married now. It's fine. But like, it's, for a long time, I was like, what? It was a chance. But I really do. I am very full of faith. And I believe that everybody comes into our life for a reason, even the painful experiences. And, um, you know, we did get married. We did have a happy marriage for a while. And then it was unhappy. And um, it wasn't the right place for both of us. But I wouldn't have the business I have if it weren't, yeah, that's if it what weren't I want to get him. into because here's what I find fascinating, and a lot of this I didn't even know about you, but you went into college thinking you would support a husband. Mm-hmm. You be took supported, a job, be supported, be supported by a husband, and have, like the yeah. job would just be whatever. Yeah, yeah. You worked a couple of jobs because they were closer to guys, or you thought you moved for a man, and then now you are you a hundred percent. You took 
over that. It was his business first, correct? It was his business okay. first. And when you first moved here, it wasn't your plan to work for his business? No, no. I was going to do my own thing. What were you going to do? I was uh, the director of group sales at the Fairmont for okay. a year. And then I moved over to the Westin. Um, I was at the Westin 18 months. And then after that, I went into digital, like, computer software yeah. for a year. And then I went into digital printing. Okay. Um, and it was that point in the business. It was really growing. and His th- business was His growing. business okay. was really growing. It was – it had turned out, like, not when he started it, but it had eventually gotten to a place where, you know, it was supporting our lifestyle very nicely. Um, but there was a lot of the administrative things that he wasn't really strong at. And my kind of analytical sales, like, things need to be this way, mind was like, okay, I can help out here at least. Yeah. Um, so – you know, I took a QuickBooks class online. Oh, wow. <laughs> Legit. I'm not, like I said, I'm not good at uh, at math, but I took a QuickBooks class online to figure out how to do our books. And then I started doing our books. And as I was doing the books and I started, you know, recognizing areas for improvement. And that's just kind of how it all started. And I got to a point working for the digital printer where I was really miserable. There were um, also great lessons. Uh, there was you know, some, I would say people who were trying to sabotage me, maybe one person who was trying to sabotage me and the owner was buying into that and not believing my side of things. And it was just a really like sad, difficult time in my life because I felt very not valued or listened to. And, you know, Don, that's my ex's name. You know, he was like, Hey, he's like, it's life's too short. You know, why don't you go do this? Why don't you Come work for DMC part time, and you know, get a real estate license and do your own thing. And so, did you want to do real estate? I was open to it, and that's the thing is, I have a very kind of, as you can tell, a very mutable kind of go with the flow, natural uh, personality. Yeah, like, and I was like, well, real estate might be fun. I like, I sold our house really quick, and I like staging, and I like working with people. So yeah, that might be a great fit. And there happened to be a neighbor was also a realtor, so we sat down and were teammates for a while. Um, but I, um, I actually got into real estate when the market was like really crappy, um, and so I had to. Yeah, it was like 2008 to 2011. I finally just last year put my Kansas license on referral, oh, which wow. basically means that I can't. I don't. It's still hanging out there, but I don't practice actively. Um, but I was starting to make a go of it. But then at the same time, things were really getting busier and busier with DMC, um, and so then we just made the decision to go all in, and that's when. I decided if I was going to have any street cred with these guys who were working for me, and right now it still is guys for the most part, at least the technicians, I needed to be able to at least talk the talk and walk the walk. And yeah. so um, I apprenticed with underneath Don for a while, and then I um, went to school and uh, took classes so that I could become licensed. Okay. Um, every trade, especially the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, you have to have a master master plumber master mechanic somebody has to be basically responsible to say yes i'm supervising these people and they're doing everything to code that's the way it works and um so i took the tests that i could hold the licenses and that allowed us to not have to hire somebody because don is very 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 smart he's actually one of the best technicians i've ever known and i tell him that still to this day um, but he's not a great test taker, and that's very common in the trades where yeah. the guys know their stuff. They know it, but it's these crazy tests that have nothing to do with the practical application of the different trades that you have to pass to become a master. And so he didn't have his master license, and we'd had guys who'd worked with us who had, but then they'd kind of come and go. And so at yeah. that point, it was like, okay, somebody has to hold this who's going to be consistent with the company, yeah. and that someone is me. So. Um, I went and passed the test. Do you remember making the decision, like, we're married and we're going to work together? What does that look like? Um, I don't think it was that. I I really wasn't too – that was like an afterthought. I thought, you know what? I can help here. I yeah. see the potential. Um, I think we can make this work. Yeah. And it didn't really occur to me that um, it wouldn't work out. Do you think that's part of why your marriage didn't work out? Because you worked together? No. Okay. I don't think so. So then it wouldn't. I think it would have. I, I mean, I think we were, we had struggles. So what a point did you actually become the majority owner? 
How, why uh, did that happen? After I passed all of the classes. Because of the licenses? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it just and, made and more I, sense? Right. Well, and it was more like we could have done it at any time. I mean, it literally, becoming the majority owner of the company was me writing a check out of our joint checking account to Don and depositing it back into our joint checking account. Oh, <laughs> no <that's> lie. Tough. <laughs> yeah. I was like, are you sure this is the way it works? Like, I really have to go through the, and they shrug their shoulders and they're like, yeah, you really do. I'm like, okay. Um, so that was me buying majority. And we did that because at that time we thought that there could be some benefits to being a majority woman-owned business. Yeah. And... You know, what I've since learned is there are definitely benefits to being a woman-owned business. But in my – in our, like, DMC's world, we're a service company. So we fix things. We're not a construction company. Yeah. We don't build things. And it's a lot more on the building side where that can be leveraged. Yeah. It can be leveraged in other it's areas, too. a lot of work too. to get, too. It is. It's a lot of work to get those um, designations, as it should be. I mean, it really, yeah. they want to make sure that it's legit, that it's not Karen's out playing tennis all day and has her name on the company. Yeah. Um, and so that was part of the reason why I wanted to get licensed is because I felt like that at least gave me some legitimacy. Legitimacy. See, sometimes words are hard. Oh, words. All the words. <laughs> words are hard. Okay, so you end up taking over 51% and then three years later, is that right? You end up taking Roughly. over the yeah. whole company? And why take over the whole company? Well, I was. we were at a crossroads. Um, our ma- marriage was failing, and we were going to be departing ways. And so it was really like, okay, do we sell everything, go our separate ways, or but you could do we not? Kids, kind of. We like, kids, he kind has of. kids, mm-hmm. but you've been raising those kids. Helping raise. Help raise them. Like, in their lives very early. Yes. Right? Like, it's not like you were just there a couple years ago. The youngest, yeah. The two older ones at that point are on their own. Like, my oldest stepson turns 30 this year. Oh, wow. And then my middle stepdaughter, she turns 27. But the youngest one, how how old was she when you came in? Uh, She was 20 months when we got married. So she was tiny. So she was tiny. And really, you know, I had... We'd made the decision not to have more children just because there was a lot going on, and I was okay with that because Grace was so little, and I had a piece of, you know, her mom is still involved, and we get along great, but um, I had an opportunity to do kind of all the mom things, like be PTO, be involved with PTO, and, um, you know, go through flu. <laughs> That's like a mom badge, right? Okay. Your kid has yeah. stomach flu. You live through it. Um, and so she was little enough that I had a piece of that. I got to help see somebody grow up. And she was 10 when all this was going down. And so I decided to stay and make it work. And there were things in the, there were, you know, we didn't conf- conflict a lot on business dis- stuff. Mm-hmm. But when we did, it, I always had deferred to him because he it was his baby. And so now it was the opportunity for me to kind of do things my way. And I saw that as very exciting. And, um, you know, I just knew that in the trades, we could do things differently yeah. in terms of we could be honest. Um, we could be transparent. Um, why did he do wa- things why right. did he why was he cool giving you? Letting you buy out that part of the business. Because he knew I would take, because he knew that he I would do well. Thing. Yeah, he knew okay. I would do a good job. And he's really still to this day very supportive. And I know that yeah. he's very proud of what um, I've been able to build since I took it over. And, you know, I think when you start a company and it's your baby for a while, maybe you don't want, uh, and I hate baby's probably not the right word, you know, maybe uh-huh. you don't want to be a part of it anymore because it's kind of yeah, run its course yeah. with you, but you don't want to see it die either. Yeah. And at that point, our business was a lifestyle business. And there is nothing wrong with a lifestyle business, but it really wasn't worth anything more than the parts we had. And so it didn't make sense to sell it and split it the didn't, profits. There, was, there wouldn't have been a whole lot to sell, okay. frankly speaking. And so I run it differently. I run it a lot differently. And I run it to try to build value um, for my employees, for my customers, so that someday we can you know, eventually sell it and it'll be worth something. And the employees who have helped me build it will be rewarded as I will. So, <laughs> And that's a ways down the road. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Um, but let me ask you this: You're you never thought you'd end up in this industry. Oh my goodness, no, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, what is it like being a woman in this industry? You know, I think that things have. I think there's a few women 
um, in the trades who've paved the way. Like yeah. those women who like 20 years ago were running, doing the same thing that I'm doing. We have a long way to go. I mean, I think in the workforce, it's like 1% of the workforce for HVAC and plumbing is is women-owned, or no, not women-owned, are female. I think there's a huge opportunity because women can support themselves with this being in the trades. Isn't the trades got along? Like, aren't we struggling of just getting anyone in the trades as well? We are, especially on the... What I see is that there's more interest in young 18, 19 year olds ever in the trades, like more than ever. It's this huge gap between like, generally speaking, 25 and 45. Because forever we just said go to college. Right. And now we're saying trades are also a good option. Yeah. A very smart option a for smart a lot option. of people. But for a long time we didn't. That's why there's a big gap. Yeah, okay. I think so. Because it was looked down on. You know, it was our, not mine, but people's Blue collar versus white collar. Right. This whole conversation regarding, you know, is it beneath, you know, blue collar was very looked down on for years. There's a lot of money. Money's money, right? You can do really well and you don't have to have a college degree. And that's the beautiful thing. You know, HVAC, you have to have a certificate. You have to be EPA certified. There's a few things you have to go to. But it could be a year to 18 months and you could be out in the field like earning money, real money. not the crazy school loans. Not the crazy school loans. How are the 18 and 19 year olds, what percentage of those are women? I would say probably still a pretty low percent, but I'm really in, I'm really encouraged because for example, I was in a face, I'm in a Facebook group, um, women in HVAC and they started out with like 50 members. And now I think it's over 400. Oh, wow. I mean, it's growing, it's starting to get momentum and I feel we're kind of on the cusp of it really taking a turn. One of my girlfriends from college, her daughter just graduated with her HVAC certificate. I didn't even know she was going to HVAC school. I saw it on Facebook and I was like, Hey, does she have a job? Like, I think more and more women are starting to recognize that they can support their families in the trades. And it's hard, you know, and it, plus it's like some people are meant to be behind a desk and some people aren't and there's no what I love about where we are in society today is there's no right or wrong it's not okay if you're behind a desk you're better and if you're out um fixing a toilet you're worse like we all need toilets at work yeah and I think that there's a lot less stigma around it which is why I'm so proud to be in it because people don't expect me when I first meet them to say oh I own a heating and cooling plumbing company and they kind of you know, give me the cock of their head. And they're like, what did you just say? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. But I love that I can, on a very small level, be an ambassador for the trades and help, you know, share the story of how people can support themselves. They can put their kids through college. They can have nice lives. And they don't have to have 80000 or $100,000 worth of student loans. Yeah. And you're so much further ahead if you don't have all that. Now, for somebody who's a doctor, please go to school. Yeah. For somebody who's a yeah. CPA, please go to school. Yeah. Like there are, I am not anti-college. I'm also not so pro-college that the kids who aren't meant to go to college go waste their time. Right. And there and then they have the school. What's the hardest part about being a woman in the industry? Um Hmm. I don't know. I think you know really the hardest part is sometimes the other women because I feel like other women are always the worst part to other women. I swear well, to God. And it's more because I feel like they, and I struggle with this true. I feel like they need to, they're. Offended by somebody. And maybe somebody's actions or words weren't meant to be offensive, but we're so sensitive and like on the guard of, you know, people discriminating us that we immediately like attack rather than seeking to have knowledge. Like, why would you say something like that? I found that, you know, offensive. And, and so I think that's the biggest thing. And, but that's with anybody I think who is in a minority is that you have to like take away the assumption that somebody's discriminating against you. For instance, I walk into a trade house like where we buy parts. And I'm in my steel toe boots and I'm in my jeans and my t-shirt just like everybody else, but I don't get waited on. I don't think I'm not being waited on because I'm a woman. 
I think I'm not being waited on because they're just not paying attention yeah. or they're too busy. And there's a difference and whether it's intentional or unintentional, I think is the real thing you have to get to the bottom of. Now, sometimes it is t- intentional that they're not waiting on me. But I think that um, I think that women sometimes struggle with that. Do you ever get any comments? So here's a here's an example. We're redoing an office space mm-hmm. right now. We're building out an office space. And so we went to look at flooring. <laughs> I was just flabbergasted. This was Sunday. We went to look at flooring over here at a big box store. And I my husband and I go and ask this girl and we say, Hey, we wanna we wanna price out some flooring. And she said, Okay, what is it for? And she and we say it's for commercial office space downtown for a business. And she looks right at my husband, she's like great is your business moving i'm so and so like not even a thought that maybe it's my business which it was right uh, and you know i'm i'm kind of a hothead so i said hey it's my business you're a 25 year old girl you should you should at this point realize it could be either one of ours and we kind of have that conversation and i don't know if she learned anything from it but i like to think she did uh do you have those same types of of I do. things happen. I do. And, and actually, you just reminded me of a time. So we, my number two, my director of operations and I, his wife came along too, just for information. We went out to Vegas for the biggest HVAC show every year. It's like 60, 70,000 people. It happened to be in Vegas. We went out two years ago. And I brought him along so that as we were, we had twofold reason. One, I wanted to see the new technology. I wanted to see what's going on. We were um, looking for some educational opportunities for our technicians, and I really wanted to vet them out. Um, but it was great because walking the show floor, I mean, they have all of the things, HVAC and plumbing. And so he was explaining a lot of it to me how it worked. Well, there was this um, gentleman at one of the booths uh, who made the comment like, oh, you bring the wife along. Now, first of all, I'm not his wife. Yeah. First of all. Second of all, he's like, man, she's my boss. <laughs> and the guy looked at me and I looked at him and I, Dean would probably say, yeah, I got a little feisty about it. But I more found it just amusing that they would automatic. So the rest of the show, everybody thought I was either the secretary or the wife. And, you know, I think that's just not going to change till we own 50 percent. And it just kind of yeah. goes along with it. And I've decided rather than get angry or mad about it and resentful, like, oh, well, you should. Should's a dangerous word. Yeah. You know, someday, maybe when our daughters are our age, maybe people won't jump to conclusions and assume. But right now they do. And I think that's just human nature. So I try to, like, just roll my eyes and smile or give a snarky remark and move on. Yeah. (laughs) Let Dean say, oh, dude, she's my boss. What's your biggest lesson for – so you took a different way to entrepreneurship, right? I did. And a lot of people. Um, what is your – I guess, so what is your biggest – your number one piece of advice of somebody that wants to be an entrepreneur but doesn't see it in themselves? Doesn't what would you say? In themselves. Well – Or they're not ready – you know, a lot of women – let me tell you what kind of where this is coming from. A lot of women – I sat down with a woman yesterday that's actually in junior league. And she wants she wants to do something, mm-hmm. but she's scared. And why are you scared? Because it might fail. Right? Oh, so what are what's your advice to those to the women that will make awesome entrepreneurs, but they're scared to take the next step? Well, first of all, I'm scared every day. Mm-hmm. So let's just put that out there. There are times, um, especially when I was purchasing the company, that can I say scared shitless? Like every yeah. night, I went to bed and I just said, I hope I don't screw this up. And every morning I'd wake up and I'd say, I hope I don't screw today up. And then I listened to It's a Good Day by Nappy Roots. <laughs> no all right, all no right. joke. And I just take another step forward. And so the the idea that there's no fear, that's wrong. Yeah. There is a lot of fear. You should be scared. But that's what's got to push you forward. And so learning how to push through the fear and take the next step and sometimes you take 10 steps and then you take 30 backwards yes and you fall down on your butt and you get back up and you go again and so you know there's a lot I have like a lot of things like no fear or fearless or all these great power words but that's just to remind myself that I can keep going through the fear and and I hope that all made sense I feel like I said a lot of words no you did um But the other thing is, is what, I mean, you have to ask yourself, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of failing or are you afraid of other people 
seeing you fail? Are you afraid? Is or do you have an ego problem? Because that's what so much of our failure is wrapped up in. It's not really the idea of failing. It's what will other people think if they know I failed? Right. And at the end of the day, that you just got to reconcile and be like, you know what? I'm not going to care as much as I think I'm going to about what other people think if I fail. Yeah. And, you know, there were times, there have been times even recently where I thought, wow, I might really face face plant and this is all going to fall apart. And somehow waking up every day and taking that step and telling myself that it's okay to be afraid, but I can't let the fear paralyze me is what has gotten me through. And I don't know what else to say. That's all right, it. I have one last question. Sure. You're going to be the president of the Junior League of Kansas City, Missouri. Yes. Junior League, as you and I both know, we're still working on getting past the pearls and and gloves, uh, I think, stigma mm-hmm. from years ago. What do you think the women that started Junior League would think that now a woman who is in the trades, running the trades, is going to be their president? I think they'd that be shift. really proud. Yeah. I think they would. You know, here's what I think. First of all, there's nothing wrong with pearls and gloves. Mm -hmm. I love pearls and gloves. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I love my steel toe boots and my jeans and T-shirts too. And I think it's okay. I think we're at a place in our kind of story of evolution where it's okay to love both. You don't have to be either or, or. If you're not pearls and gloves, that's okay too. Just love each human for whatever it makes them happy or whoever they are because we're all different. But I think they'd be proud because, you know, I see myself as a change agent and a little bit of a revolutionary. And I think it's good that I get to be the junior league president and run a trade. And it's interesting because there's another president-elect-elect, soon-to-be president-elect, down in Baton Rouge, and she is a trades owner, too. Oh, wow. And um, her name is Narisha, and she has a general contracting business. Cool. And when I met her, I was like, high five for the junior league presidents and the trades. And so, you know, I think there are some women who maybe would have a difficult time embracing it, but I'm pretty charming. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty good. And I love everyone. And so if somebody is mean or, you know, kind of doesn't understand what it is I'm doing, I think I have a good way of explaining it that, you know, I want a different world for our girls where they don't feel like they have to be a XYZ as a supplemental income to their husband. Yeah. That they can run, you know, they can have an income and regardless of whether they have a husband or not or a boyfriend or a life partner or whatever, that they can have and deserve to have a living that is just as nice as if they didn't so well i love it i think that they are they would be very proud they're going to be wherever they're at i think they would be very proud too that is it for this week's cocktail hour do you want to hear from your favorite local businesswoman do you know a woman in business who is shaking shit up send your recommendations to hey girl at cocktailhourpodcast.com make sure you subscribe and share our podcast with your friends we share our stories to motivate and inspire you so spread the love around Until next time, I'm Erin Folk. Keep your class and your glass raised. We'll see you at the next cocktail hour. Thanks, Karen.